Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. I suppose it was kind of the NBA to throw what's, I would say, uh, likely, but not necessarily a definite, a likely break here as I roll into my adventure over the next day and a half. You guys all know what I'm talking about already. I don't go down that deep, dark, disturbing rabbit hole. But I'm going to keep the Iron Man streak alive. Somehow, I'm going to keep the Iron Man streak alive. I thought about it uh, a bunch this morning, because today is uh, clear liquids only for the procedure for the entire day. So I, uh, when I can try to put out of my mind my intense burning hunger for actual food, my thought was, all right, I've fallen so far behind Sports Ethos in the team breakdowns. I did manage to get through the Pelicans, so now I'm only four teams behind the good, the amazing riders. Not good. They're better than good. The fantastic riders over at Sports Ethos have already covered the Bulls, the Thunder, the Wolves, and the Hawks. And I believe they have another one coming out tomorrow on Wednesday. So I'm I'm at very much a risk of falling five behind. I, I don't really want to do that again. So what we're going to do here is, is it not going to be the world's longest shows, and we only... I, you know, I, I'm only going to do one game breakdown, whether or not the Heat wrap up their series with the Celtics. But I do want to to talk a little bit about the Nuggets, the Lakers, definitely the Heat and Celtics, because they're still playing. I would like to also talk about the uh, next team on that that team review board we were just talking about a moment ago. That would be the Chicago Bulls, and. I have a, I guess it's sort of a lesson learned, but not really. It's sort of like a a previous lesson we'd already discussed, but uh, wanted to kind of rehash it a tiny bit. So my thought here is on, on how this can all make sense. Today, Tuesday... It makes sense to talk about the basketball going on right now because the Nuggets beat the Lakers. That series is over. Four pretty damn close games. Uh, I mean, I'm trying to remember how games two and three went in terms of the scoring. I think all four of these games were technically clutch time games, right? Isn't that like game within five points in the final... Is it five minutes? Five points, five minutes, or five points, two minutes? Because then it might not be quite that same thing because the... Nuggets pulled away a bit in game three. Uh, but thinking back to the first game, I remember the Lakers had a three-point chance to to try to tie it. LeBron, an ill-advised pull-up above the break three-pointer when they were getting anything they wanted on offense at that point. Still a frustrating turn of events. You think back to that ball game. What if the Lakers had actually kind of just tried to take it down the Nuggets' throat? Because that was the game where... Denver did not have any answer for the Lakers defensively. The Lakers were trying sort of that gimmicky Rui thing, and it was working because the Nuggets didn't have the the alignments to get Anthony Davis away from the bucket. That was the best run the Lakers went on probably in the series. And you know, admittedly, they needed a few things still to break their way, but how would the series have been different if that first ball game pivoted the other way? Regardless, four close games, all four of them go to the Nuggets, which I think goes back to... Uh, basically what we talked about right at the beginning of that series, which again, and I I don't want to spend too much time rehashing this same thing. If you've got 
someone, you want to take a shot late in the ballgame, you want Nikola Jokic, or you want Jamal Murray. And that's despite the fact that Braun actually had a good ballgame in Game 4. He was excellent. I didn't think he was that great. I didn't think either of the Lakers superstars was all that great in this series as a whole. Anthony Davis was very good in Game 1. LeBron was very good in Game 4. But you needed more than that. But to me, that didn't even really matter. Like, Nuggets had better shot makers. Again, 12 three-pointers to only eight for the Lakers. Lakers had a bunch. I think they had seven in the first half, and they had one in the second half. Something god-awful. So as you look at these two teams now, Nuggets move on to the finals. They are expecting, I'm sure, to see the Miami Heat, and we may have an answer on that by the end of tonight. And there's a week off, so everybody's going to be well-rested. Everybody's going to have a chance to game plan, but game planning only goes as far as it can until you actually see the stuff in person, and then you'll see the kind of adjustment situation take place. This will be the Heat's best test so far. I don't know if this is going to be the Nuggets' best test so far. It's hard to say. The reason I feel pretty confident saying it's the Heat's greatest adversary to this point is that the teams that Miami has conquered to this point have been sort of fatally flawed in some way, where the Bucks sort of got shell-shocked and never recovered from it. That was the team that I would have expected to give them the toughest time. Boston has been sort of floating aimlessly through these playoffs, somehow winning anyway. Now they finally are like, oh, no, a team woke them up, but might be too late. Did they wake them up? I guess we'll find out tonight, or is it time to just sort of roll over? And then in between there, the Heat got the Knicks, which, again, like that's a team that they had their problem much better this year. Jalen Brunson changed things a lot for that ball club, but they they were not going to keep up with a Heat team on this kind of surge. For the Nuggets, they had to go through Kevin Durant and Devin Booker when didn't wasn't all that tough because Phoenix was disjointed and didn't really have their defense figured out. And then this Lakers team, for as many flaws as you want to point out with them, they were an aggressive downhill team that knocked off the defending champs, a Memphis team that was, again, missing Steven Adams. I think that was a pretty big deal there. But And you knew the Lakers, by and large, were going to play to their identity, which I think is sort of what you've got with three of those teams left. Lakers, Nuggets, Heat, all kind of had an identity at this point. And I don't know what the Celtics was, or is, I guess. They're not out yet. So what is this finals going to be? I mean, if Denver, you figure if Denver can handle whatever the Lakers were throwing, can they handle the Heat? No, it's a pretty different monster, actually. Miami is, right now, relying on a ton of floor spacing around Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo, and those guys are hitting their shots in a way that, Lakers certainly didn't. Here's the thing. Lakers got one three-pointer out of someone that was not named LeBron James or Dennis Schroeder yesterday. Austin Reeves had a pretty good series. Schroeder was very up and down. D'Angelo Russell came off the bench for only 15 minutes and was, by the way, a plus six. (laughs) I know. I mean, the teams were going to go back to their starters. It was, interestingly, kind of a, a... little tweak that worked briefly for the Lakers, but LA starters just kept getting beat up by the Jokic Jamal Murray tandem. And then Michael Porter Jr. was enormous in that series. They don't win it without him. Not a chance. His floor spacing, and I know he didn't shoot the ball as well in game four, but his ability to knock down threes, KCP hitting those three points. Think back to the Lakers when they went on their run. KCP was huge in that one. And this is sort of what you were thinking about, or what we were all thinking about. When Denver made that offseason trade to get KCP, 
And I, I think anybody who had basketball, I don't know who, who said it. I don't Like I've said before, I don't have time to listen to everybody else's stuff, ESPN, whatever. The, it was an obvious win for the Nuggets because they got the guy that made sense with their team build. A floor-spacing, defense-first shooting guard who's not afraid of shooting in big moments. KCP was a perfect fit. Will Barton was never that kind of fit. And Monte Morris, who I would argue is actually kind of a decent fit, but in a superfluous manner. They didn't need him. So they switched, they flipped Monte for a spot that they needed to shore up. Spacing and defense. Don't go out there and do something insane. Spacing and defense. And it's paying off for them in a huge, huge way. And then Aaron Gordon getting hot from three was also sort of a, a death knell to the Lakers yesterday as well. So the Nuggets going to the finals. Should be fun. They're a, they're a hell of a damn ball club. They do a lot of things really, really well. And one of the big ones here in the playoffs is you got to be able to hit a shot. Because when things tighten up and everybody's getting tired... It's going to be harder to get all the way to the rim. And the Nuggets hit shots. For the Lakers, as they look towards the offseason, you've got to think that bringing back Rui Hachimura and Austin Reeves is at the top of the board. Dennis Schroeder, I thought, was wonderful for this team when they didn't try to run him in world's most microscopic lineups, meaning as the season went on, they were able to play him with actual like big dudes around him. Uh, and then Delo's the huge question mark. Because he would get a ton of money. And completely turtled in this particular playoff round. When the team went right at him, he vanished. I was pretty excited about D'Angelo Russell on at the trade deadline because it felt like having someone that could just go and get hot is actually a really big deal for a team that wants to make a playoff run. Because every once in a while, you're just going to need somebody to go out there and hit three or four shots in a row. Jamal Murray did it in both games two and three. He was the reason the Nuggets won those two ball games. If he doesn't get super hot, Lakers probably win those games. Lakers didn't really have that in this series. You could argue game one, Anthony Davis hit a ton of shots, but so did Jokic and kind of so did everybody in that one. And then here in this one, LeBron was really hot in the first half. Lakers built up a nice little lead. LeBron cooled off. Lakers couldn't hold off the Nuggets. That would have been just the kind of time to have someone like a D'Angelo Russell go out there and hit a couple three-pointers in a row. It just wasn't happening this series, though. He had those moments against the Warriors. He had those moments against Memphis. Lakers just needed a little bit more, and it wasn't there. So you've got to think that off-season priority for L.A., they they still need more shooting. If LeBron doesn't retire. Now, he came out and said he was contemplating retirement. I don't know. Maybe he gets surgery. Uh, Maybe he gets that surgery and misses like half of next season. I'd I'd be pretty surprised. He's talked a lot about wanting to play with his son. Bronny is uh, starting a a freshman year at USC, which will probably be his only season in, in college. And then he'll go to the NBA and LeBron will probably go join him somewhere. Team that drafts Bronny is probably going to go get LeBron as well. I guess he'll be 40 at that point. But this coming year, I don't know, feels like maybe a last hurrah makes a lot more sense because the Lakers were pretty damn good by the end of this season. Going to the conference finals, that's not nothing. You went 
the second farthest you can go. So I don't think that LeBron looks at his team, he's like, oh, well, we can't win a championship. I mean, that would, it feels like perhaps there was a lot there, like, you know, he's been playing hurt for a while, and you just lost, you got beat four times in a row by a team that just made more shots than you guys did. And so he's looking at his team like, who the hell, like, if I don't make these shots, who's going to make these shots? Well, you know, that's a that's a recency bias, because Lonnie Walker had a huge game earlier in the playoffs. It's probably why they were able to beat the Warriors the way they were. D'Lo had those big games against Memphis. He had teammates that hit shots. They just weren't there in the Denver series. And so I'm sure that when LeBron takes a minute and looks at that team, he's going to realize they were really damn close. And I don't even know that it's necessarily a player that they need to go and get. They just need the guys that are there to step up one more time. Two more, I guess, if you're going to win in the finals also. Of course, on the other side of this, as we go into speculation mode, seen all these rumors out that the Lakers are not at all interested in Kyrie Irving. Who can blame them? They had good chemistry at the end of the year. Kyrie's not exactly known for his team chemistry, but mm, you look at that Nuggets series, that's the kind of player that would have put him over the top. Guy that can just go get a bucket and at a pretty damn high efficiency clip, too. A guy a defense just sort of can't guard. That's what Jamal Murray was in this series, even more than Nikola Jokic. Folks, picture this nightmare scenario. You're hosting friends for the big game. It's neck and neck in the fourth quarter, and suddenly you realize... You're out of drinks. Boo, say all of your friends. You start to sweat. Your friends turn on you. You're forced to go on a last-second drink run and end up missing the game-winning touchdown while in line. Oh, no. Terrifying, isn't it? Luckily, you can avoid the drama with Drizzly, the go-to app for drink delivery. With Drizzly, you can shop a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your watch party. Compare prices across multiple stores in your area, find the best deals on game day drinks, and get back to armchair quarterbacking from, you guessed it, your armchair. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. Must be 21 plus, not available in all locations. Ah, well. We shall see. Should be fun. As far as the other conference is concerned, Heat are a one and a half point favorite at home. Celtics, uh, I believe it opened at two and it's come down just the tiniest bit, but that's that's basically no movement as far as odds are concerned. And as you get deeper into a series, you see uh, generally less line movement outside of something like player-related. Total is up from 214.5 to 217, so I guess there's an expectation there that this one turns into something of a shootout. I gotta be honest with you guys, uh, my play in the Eastern Conference has just been to keep back in Miami until they give me a reason not to do so. That said... The Heat shot 57% in that last ball game, and for the Celtics, I, I mean, it feels to me like this is the game where if they want to convince Jalen Brown to come back, they're going to have to show some damn signs of life. I would actually, weirdly enough, lean to the Heat again. 
I don't think Boston wins a ball game in this series. I think that they're, I think they continue to turtle. And I don't think the Heat relent. They've shown no, they've no inclination to take their foot off the gas. Do I think it'll be closer than a 26 point drubbing like the last one? Yeah, tighter ball game, but I haven't been given a, a good reason to fade the Heat yet. In all actuality, I'm not betting this game. I don't I don't like any part of it. I would have taken a look at the under. Um but also I think you'll see a lot of fouling late if the Celtics are down like five and they'll try to extend the game, any kind of prayer to keep it going. Uh we're not deep enough into the series to say, oh, everybody's gonna be super tight, it's gonna be ultra low scoring. It might be. You know me. I like to start with the under, but I don't think I'm gonna go that direction in this one. Uh, so kind of a tough one, honestly, as far as betting goes. And as far as schematics go, I, I don't think that that's what this series is coming down to. There's just a, a, an identity crisis on one side that is very much not happening on the other. So there you go. Second half of today's podcast, and we started with the basketball, um... We're going to push the team recap show to tomorrow because today, well, hmm, I guess that's the one thing I hadn't decided, which which direction we want to go. Yeah, we'll do the team recap tomorrow. Today, I want to just talk about one little thing that we had kind of skipped over when talking about how to f- fix head-to-head leagues, and it's not even really on that same vein. That's that's just an inaccurate statement by me. It's not part of that. This is really more of a lesson learned that we talked about, I think, two to three years ago on the podcast, but I wanted to to bring it back up again because it it gets talked about leading up to a season, and I don't know. It's not going to be a long discussion here, but I just wanted to bring up the this notion of Punting versus not punting. And it doesn't even necessarily have to be head-to-head or roto. It's relevant to both. So let's start with the roto side, because to me, that discussion is actually a little bit shorter. It depends a little bit on what kind of league you're in. But I would say the... I've long since abided by the, the theory that you really shouldn't punt in Roto. But also, you don't get the nickname Pedantic for nothing without doing a little word hair splitting on a podcast. And the reason I bring that up is because I... I like to distinguish between the term punt and the term... and the Or maybe it's not even a term. And the idea of giving up on something. Some folks call it like a mid-season soft punt. But I actually don't even know that it's necessarily that. Well, it, It's close enough, though, that we can use that as our baseline. So punting, in my mind, a full hard punt, is on draft night, you are actively sabotaging a particular category in favor of trying to be much, much better in the other ones. The soft punt is more of this notion of, well, I'm kind of just sort of ignoring a particular category. You're not like actively trying to be awful at it. You're just not really paying attention to it. 
And on the Roto side, I would say it's best not to do either of those on draft night. Now, don't jump down my throat. Wait a moment. Wait a moment before jumping down my throat. Because the other half of that discussion is, if you find that whether it's due to just uh, the availability of certain players on draft night, guys that you are targeting, you wanted to go get them because you thought they'd be value, whatever, or you know something that you thought was going to happen that didn't happen, something that didn't pan out quite right. Let's say that by mid-December, two months into the season or so, you're realizing that your team is just sort of not very good at a particular category. And for me, with the old man squad, that often tends to be points. It's not always on purpose, and not all of my Roto teams end up as a punt points team. In fact, uh, the Roto League where I smashed a number of my friends, I believe I was actually pretty good at points. Yeah, I was I was like fourth from the top. I wasn't outstanding, but I was above mid-pack. I'm trying to remember who I drafted in that one. I think I was a, a Harden-Anthony Davis first and second round combo that worked out nicely. Worked out nicely because uh, Vooch, Porzingis, uh, Jamal Murray. I think I had Larry Markin in that one as well. So a lot of, st- a lot of stuff worked out. <laughs> a lot of stuff worked out later on in that draft. Um, is this a Brolo league also? No, I don't think this is a league where I had Brooke Lopez. Kelly Oubre, he could score. Got him kind of late in the draft also. Uh, point is, you don't have to punt points. It just, with the old man squad, sometimes it ends up leaning that way. But in, like in this league, for instance, I didn't actively try to punt anything. And as the season went on, I realized my team was decent enough in a lot of stuff where I didn't end up leaning into any kind of punt. However, there was a different league where... Uh, I also won it. This was a Yahoo uh, public league, and I, I'm just using my own stuff as an example, where I got done with the draft, and I realized very quickly my team probably wasn't going to be all that good in assists. It wasn't on purpose. They were going to be, I thought, okay at them because it was a Dame LeBron top of the board. But then I went uh, Vooch, DeMar DeRozan, Keldon Johnson, OG Ananobi, uh, Horford, Markinen, Okongwu. Yeah, you're noticing a theme here. LeBron and Dame were going to be my assist guys at the top of the board, but neither one of those dudes was really a, like, carrier team guy, and then LeBron missed a bunch of time. So partway through the year, I realized I wasn't catching anybody in assists, and so I just abandoned ship. Basically, anybody on my team that I thought had a good shot to get more assists or to be a positive in that category, generally these guys were pickups or late-round draft picks, I traded them for other stuff. Said, whatever. And it became kind of a mid-season punt. Because I was like third from the bottom, and I thought, all right, what's the worst-case scenario here? I lose two points in assists the rest of the way? Well, I ended up only losing one, because a lot of teams give up at the end of a season, and you can usually stay in front of one or two of them. So my possible negative there was almost negligible and the upside was all right I lean into some stuff where I'm mid-pack push myself up the board a little bit farther and gain three or four roto points steals I think was one that I was able to make a little push in in that league 
field goal, free throw percent? I can't remember. Doesn't matter. Point is, the mid-season acceptance, it's almost like a casual acceptance. Okay, this is what I am. I think that's totally fine on the Roto side, and usually you'll have some players that you can move for a pretty good ROI. Head-to-head is a little bit more complicated in this discussion because I do think that punting on draft night is fine. And there are a billion degrees of it. So this show, I mean, frankly, no single podcast is long enough to cover head-to-head punting because I also think that there's there's a, a misnomer going around about how I feel on punting. Head-to-head punting is basically necessary if you're in anything but the least competitive of leagues. If you're in a super non-competitive head-to-head league, you pretty much have to be punting something by the time you get to your playoffs. It doesn't have to start on draft night, so you could kind of play it the same way you do on the Roto side, although I don't know that I necessarily suggest that because... You know, come head-to-head playoffs, you're adding and subtracting players, you're dropping injured guys, and the complexion of your team can actually change a fair amount. Unless you're so deeply ingrained in a hard punt from draft night that those types of little things won't derail your team. So my feelings on the head-to-head side... I think can best be summed up in this, what I hope will be a relatively short monologue. My whole damn show is a monologue. Who are we kidding here? If you're going to punt it head-to-head, I think the best way to do it is a hard punt on draft night. You just go all in on it. Make it so. It could be one category, it could be two, you could even go as many as three, and you still have an opportunity to win it. It becomes much harder to get a top two seed if you're punting more than one or two categories on head-to-head, but it does still set your team up to be not injury-proof come playoff time, but you have a certain uh, buffer against what injuries and missed games might do to your team. You know, if you're say, a a big man punt. We've talked about that on the podcast a few times long, long ago. So you're basically punting rebounds, field goal percent, and blocks. You're able to draft big dudes that score and pass and shoot and can hit their free throws and maybe even get you steals and just pile that on top of more traditional guard play. You just have to make sure you score a lot. That's where you're going there. By the way, if you're in a big man punt, you're probably not great at turnovers either. So you almost accidentally punt a fourth thing. Your margin for error in winning or losing in a given week is extraordinarily narrow because you're expecting to win 5-4 or at best 6-3 in a given week. But if you lose one of your main guys, you should still be pretty damn good at those five categories. Most folks prefer kind of one, maybe two punts. I'm not here on this particular episode to tell you exactly how to do all those things. Punting field goal percent has become extremely popular lately. Uh, I think it's probably time to go another way now that everybody's kind of doing that one. You, You just have to stay, you know, one strategic pivot ahead of everybody else. But I do believe that in most competitive head to head leagues, you can't really attack all nine because someone in your league is going to be doing a good punt and they're going to beat you. 
And then again, the midseason pivot in head-to-head, not a huge fan of that either. I just, if you if you haven't done it yet, I don't think it's a great idea to do it partway through. Because you take a lot of stuff off the board for yourself. Which you're kind of doing by it with a punt on the on the initial play. But again, like if you have a half-decent team in most categories, the midpoint, you never know what dude might get hurt on your team and where you'll need to plug in the gaps. I don't know if that makes sense. You kind of need like living, breathing examples to see this stuff through. But I did want to touch on that just briefly here in kind of this strange Dan's dealing with medical procedures week on the show. Today's uh, half lesson learned is soft punt, probably okay in Roto midseason. Hard punt, go for it, head-to-head. I'm totally fine with that. People don't remember that that's the way I feel about these things because I do tend to talk about all nine categories for most of the season on this show. Uh, But yeah. Head-to-head, if you're in tough leagues, you're probably not going to win it unless you're leaning into some stuff. Although I will say the one thing that that always irks me when I start to get into this punt discussion, and we'll talk more about this as we approach next year, but just as something to keep in the back of your head, you might not be alone in your punt. Someone else in your league might also be punting rebounds or assists or whatever it turns out to be. That, to me, is when things get really complicated because not only are you guys attacking the same players on draft night and throughout the year, but if you have to run up against each other at some point during the playoffs, you'll find out pretty quickly which of you did the punt better. That's one of the reasons that I still, even while I do condone the hard punt on the head-to-head side, I, I still think that your best move is to either A, Try to stay kind of on the cutting edge of the punt stuff. Our buddy Adam Stock, I want to give a shout out to, to Adam Stock, who's been on the show a number of times throughout the years. Uh, he's always coming up with like a fresh new way to punt something. That's what you got to be doing. Don't do the thing that everybody's just figuring out how to do. Don't do the field goal punt right now. Everybody's doing a field goal punt these days. Do something else. Who the hell? Does anybody do a steals punt? Threes punt? There's all these interesting ways you can say skin a cat, I hate that expression, but there's so many ways you can win a fantasy league. But if you find yourself doing a similar punt to other teams in your league, you're at a huge disadvantage now because not only are you going to have to go through those clubs and whoever whoever punts better survives, but you're also going to be picking from a smaller pool of a player pool that you already shrunk by punting. Again, we'll talk more about that in probably August or September We loop back around to interesting ways of punting in head-to-head. For now, just make sure you come check me out on Twitter, at Dan Bespris. Sportsethos.com is the website. I am, by the way, I'm really excited about how many new recruits we've got coming in on the baseball and the football side. We are bulking up here at Sports Ethos. Keep them coming. And weirdly, I haven't heard as much from NBA folks here, I guess because the season's over. But if you want to be an NBA fantasy analyst, this would be a great time to uh, approach the content folks here at Sports Ethos, Keith, Panda, and the lot, because this is a time when they don't get a ton of NBA applicants. Just saying, Ethos Fantasy BK, Sports Ethos, that's also a Twitter handle of sort of the umbrella one. Uh, But whatever, we'll get into that at some point when uh, I'm not thinking about... This clear liquid I continue to drink on the podcast. Anyway, Dan Vespers for Fantasy NBA Today. Have a great Tuesday, everybody. We'll tell you about the Bulls tomorrow. So long for now.
You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.